Lord Jesus, thanks for this time that we get to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ to listen to your voice through your word. I pray, Lord, in this time that you would edit my words before they're even released and that uh, all the things that we say and think and process during this time would bring you glory. We love you, Father, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as Maddie said, Travis is away this weekend. He's at Malibu. Any Malibu people in the room? Yep, there's a couple. Yep, awesome. Malibu is this incredible place. Um, and I'm sort of, we were, I was talking earlier with Maddie that we're envious that the men's retreat goes to Malibu. The women's retreat goes to Leavenworth, which is still awesome. But, like, there's a women's weekend at Malibu, too. P.S. Secret. <laughs> it comes in September. So, if you're dying to get to Malibu, or you heard about this place and you think it sounds amazing, it's amazing. I've been there a bunch of times, and God has done a lot of business in my life at Malibu. So um, I'd encourage you to get up there. The Women's Weekend's in September. It's usually a really rich time. So um, Travis gets to be there this weekend. So I get the privilege of sharing from God's Word. And I'll tell you that uh, I've done a lot of speaking, and there are times when God doesn't tell me what to say. And then I'm kind of a hot mess. <laughs> but there are other times when God does give me sort of a download of what he wants me to share. And that's what he did this week. So I'm feeling grateful for that. And I feel like I'm less of a hot mess because I'm just delivering the mail for the king. So that's what we're going to do today. And I'll tell you, when I got the scripture passage for today, I was glad to have a bit shorter text. Sometimes we have these really, really long texts, which is great. But if we have a shorter text, we can really dive, dive deep and dissect what's there. So I love doing that because I can really see scripture come alive when we slow down and we read a little bit at a time and we really sit with it. So that's what we're going to do today. So if you want to, if you have a Bible and you want to open your Bible or if you have your Bible app and you want to open your Bible app, it's Luke 17 verses 11 through 19 as Maddie just read. Um, And verse 11 starts with, pull it right here. On the way, to Jerusalem. We're going to stop right there. You're already thinking, oh, we only, she only said five words. She's already stopping. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, it's not going to be that long a day. I promise I won't stop every five words. But these ones are worth taking note of. Jesus was on his way. And in the season of Jesus's life, and in most of his life, he's on his way somewhere. Like the dude's traveling a lot. He goes from north to south a lot. And as we see through the accounts of his life in the Gospels, we find that things often happen when he's on his way somewhere. The day he healed the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, he was on his way to Jairus' house. He was in motion. The day he called Zacchaeus down from the tree, he was on his way through Jericho. He's often on his way, yet he stops for the one. I love that he has this, he seems to have this incredible intimacy with the Father, even as a human man, that he knows when to stop and who to stop for. And I don't know about you, but I don't operate like that when I'm on my way, right? If I'm driving somewhere on my way, I'm usually playing make-believe with my little girl, Kate, who's sitting in the back. We're playing princesses or fairies or something. Um, I'm watching my traffic app to see if I could get wherever I'm going faster because <laughs> I'm usually running late. And I'm listening to music or a podcast, and I'm focused on my destination. And I occasionally notice things that might be out of the ordinary, but generally there's enough going on inside my car and inside my head that I'm not paying attention to what God's talking to me about or what he might want me to stop for. Sorry, pause. Yet Jesus always seemed to be willing to stop 
even as a human, as we said, he had this intimate connection with the Father, and he was able to bless and heal and forgive and love because of that. And he did a lot of those things while he was on his way. It makes me wonder, like, what kind of opportunities are we missing when we're on our way? Because we're so focused on our destination or we're distracted by all the stuff in our heads or in our lives. I'm sure that I've missed plenty of who God wanted me to see or what he wanted me to notice. Um, And this text reminds me to slow down and get in tune with the Holy Spirit all the time, even in my crazy car sometimes. And maybe see if there's someone he wants me to stop for or talk with or touch or give something to while I'm on my way. It's another time that we can be in tune with the Father. So I think the first point on your bulletin, I didn't actually look at this, is that Jesus bridges the gap. Oh yeah, look, it made it. Good. <laughs> um, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But first know that he, does, he bridges that gap while he's on his way. He wasn't inconvenienced by people that showed up or cried out to him. He stopped. He knew just what to do because he was in touch with the Father. He did that, and then he usually continued on his way. I think that's a great lesson for us as we seek to be more like Christ. Okay, back to the text. So the rest of verse 11 says, On his way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now we're going to get a little geography lesson. Eric would tell you, my husband, that I love context. And when I am going to tell you something in a conversation, like I'm going to give you all the boundaries all around it because I love context. So we're going to get a little context because I love context and I love maps. So we're going to do a little maps and context today. Um, And it, it will help us understand why this travel route is significant. So here's a map that shows you Israel at that time. Can you guys see that? Um, Israel is basically split into three regions. So this is kind of an ancient map. You can see the word Galilee up here. That's Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up, spent most of his life. So Galilee is that northern region. Samaria is this middle region. There's Sychar. That's where he met the woman at the well. Remember that? And then Judea is this lower region. So this is all of Israel. Kind of three regions. Galilee, Samaria, Judea. Judea is where Jerusalem is, the holy city. Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. So that's kind of how it lays out. Um, Jerusalem's obviously where Jesus spent time you know, teaching in the temples and ultimately where he was crucified. So in this passage, Jesus is traveling from the north, the Galilee region, through Samaria, on his way south to Jerusalem. He did this journey a lot. And depending on where he started or finished, it's an 80 to 90 mile journey. Of course, there wasn't cars. (laughs) They're doing this on foot, in dirty dirt roads with sandals, right? So, but it's only that distance if you travel it in a relatively straight line. If you go around parts, it obviously takes longer. The thing that's significant about Samaria is that it was a region filled with people who were descendants from foreigners, who had intermarried with the Israelites. So it's Israelite people, but foreigner people. They'd intermarried, which left this mixed race. And these folks worshipped God, but kind of according to their own traditions. And to the Jews, the Israelites, Jesus was a Jew, the Samaritans really represented the downfall of their nation. They were an other. And the two people groups didn't get along at all. I find it interesting that to this day, most of Samaria is in the West Bank of Israel. We show that other map? Ian, thanks. So the West Bank of Israel is the non-Jewish Palestinian part, right? So it's this part right here. Like that middle part of Samaria, this doesn't show all of it, is kind of this big brownish part. 
And then this is the Palestinian part. And then Israel's kind of the yellowy part around it. And so the Samaritans and the Israelites didn't get along then. And they're still not getting along now. It's kind of interesting how history has just kind of carried on. Um, Okay, so enough with your geography lesson. There you go. There's your context. (laughs) Uh, Back to the scripture. The point to all this is that the Jews and the Samaritans were divided by race. They were divided by culture. They were divided by religion. So much so that the Jews didn't like to travel through Samaria. If they'd had cars, they would have taken the time to drive around. And I think lots of people did. But if you wanted to get there faster, you had to go in a straight line. So you had to go through Samaria. Um, and that's where Jesus and his, that's what Jesus and his disciples were doing. And here's what happens. Verse 12. Let's see. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. So he's on the border of Galilee and Samaria. He's headed south, and he enters this village where ten men meet him. They were likely Samaritan men, so there was really no reason for Jesus and his disciples to associate with them in the first place. But this group of men also had leprosy, which everyone knew you're supposed to steer really clear of. Leprosy is a highly contagious skin disease. You guys have probably seen pictures. Um, We don't have it much anymore, but they had a lot of it then. And it can be transmitted by someone sneezing on you or coughing on you, or by coming into contact with some of the sores on the leper's skin, which they had a lot of. And so in ancient times, the people with leprosy were labeled unclean, and they had to stay outside on the outskirts of cities. They didn't get to be with their families anymore. And that unclean designation was a label that the priests gave them. So you had to go to the priest and show him your skin. If you thought you were having leprosy, you had they made you go to the priest, show him your skin, and they looked at all these different parts and had all these like factors, like they were a doctor. <laughs> and then they'd say, yep, you got leprosy, you're unclean. Out. You don't get to live with your family anymore. You get sent out to the outcasts, or out to the outskirts. They were pariahs and social outcasts, and they were required then to stay on the margins by social norms. So Jesus is on his way entering this village, and he encounters these ten men with leprosy because he's on the outside of the men, outside of the village. And verse 12 says that they kept their distance, which was required of them, right? Because they were unclean, but they wanted to have an encounter with Jesus. Verse 13 starts with, and they raised their voices. Why did they raise their voices? It's because they're lepers, and they had to stay outside. They had to stay away from people, right, including Jesus. So if Jesus is going to hear him, and Jesus is way over there, because they can't get close to people, they had to yell, hey, Jesus, over here. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Whenever I read this request, this have mercy request, it reminds me of blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. So I'm going to go there for a second and just read part of that scripture to you. It says, as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, again, he's on, his move, on the move, he's leaving Jericho, <laughs> Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. They told him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus was much like the ten lepers. He was blind, so he couldn't work, and therefore he was forced to beg. 
if he wanted to eat, right? He probably didn't get to shower a lot. He probably doesn't smell that great. And people wanted him on the outside. He was a social outcast because he wasn't like everyone else. He definitely lived on the margins of society and of income. And it was clear that the folks around him didn't think that he should be speaking to Jesus. You should be out there, not with the king. So they rebuke him and they tell him to be quiet, but Blind Bart's not dissuaded. I love that. Like he comes all the more. He cries out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Just like the lepers. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. It's an interesting request because the definition of mercy is compassion or forbearance shown towards someone who deserves punishment for their sin. Crying out for mercy is basically asking for forgiveness. All of these folks, these ten men and Bartimaeus, needed physical healing. Yet they cry out to Jesus for mercy instead, for forgiveness, for compassion. Why? Why would they ask for that? If they really, like, I think I'd want to see first and get my skin cleansed, get to live with my family again. I think this is why. They know who Jesus is. The lepers are all likely Samaritans. So they're not even Jesus' people. And during his life, he spends very little time in their region of Israel. I think he passes through it a lot because he goes back and forth from Galilee to Judea and Jerusalem a lot. Yet they know who he is and what he can do for them. Because of that, they're not asking Jesus for the easy thing, the thing that's right in front of them, like physical healing. But instead, they're asking for soul healing. They're asking for mercy, for forgiveness, for compassion. Blind Bart also knows who Jesus is. He knows his Old Testament and that Jesus is from the line of David, right? He calls him son of David. And he's never seen with his eyes Jesus do miracles. But he's heard about him. And he knows the kind of power Jesus has. So he cries out for mercy. It makes me wonder if I sometimes ask Jesus for the too easy thing. The thing that's right in front of me. The thing that I just would like help with just today. And he's like, oh yeah, sure, Heather. Yep, I can help you get a good night's sleep because you have to preach tomorrow. Yep, yep, okay, good. Nice request, granted. What if instead of praying for that, I asked him for each of you to have the most powerful revelation from his word today? What if I asked for all of us to, to leave here feeling a deeper intimacy with the lover of our souls? What if I asked him for forgiveness and love, and grace, and mercy to abound in this place today. That's the kind of stuff I really want from the king. Yet I find myself asking him for like a good night's sleep. (laughs) Does that resonate with you guys? Do you ask for the thing that's in front of you instead of sometimes the bigger things that we want in life or for others? How many of us need to get bolder in our request to God, like the lepers and blind Bartimaeus were? And I don't mean like, God cares about all the details of our lives. So we should never be ashamed or afraid to bring him anything, right? He says, anything. Bring your request to me, anything. Lord, please make my dog stop barking right now because he's bugging the neighbors, right? Like, we can pray for that. (laughs) Or please make my baby go to sleep. I don't know how many times I prayed that. Like, and I still pray it now. My girl's six. Please make her go to sleep. I prayed that prayer probably more than any other prayers in my whole life. Ah, God can hear and answer that prayer, right? But what if we got a little more courageous when we pray? We're talking with the God of the universe after all, right? He's keeping this planet spinning on its axis at the exact right distance from the sun so that we don't all get burned up. 
Don't we believe that a God like that, with that much power and that much control over every detail of the universe, could do something significant in our lives? The lepers and blind Bartimaeus certainly did. They knew Jesus had the power to forgive them and give them favor. And they elevated that. They wanted that more than their physical hearing, healing. I hope as we walk out of here today believing, or maybe even just remembering again, that Jesus has that kind of power in our lives too, so that we get bolder in our prayers. Ask him for big things. There's people in our lives that we want to come to know the Lord in a really real way. And sometimes I just pray like, Lord, make yourselves real to them. But like, what if I got really bold about that prayer <laughs> and prayed it in a bigger way? I think it just would be good to have more courage in that way. We got a bunch of little ones going to the bathroom. It's awesome. <laughs> I think that's what they're doing. <laughs> little field trip. Um, So this week I also pondered a bit. So they asked for mercy, right? Which is this different kind of prayer. This broadness of their request. They cry out for mercy. They ask for one thing, mercy. And mercy is kind of a broad thing. And it made me wonder again if I need to change my prayers in another way. The men with leprosy asked Jesus for mercy, and that's broad. They didn't ask for healing. They didn't ask for acceptance back into society. They didn't ask for a promotion inside the leper colony. Right? They didn't ask for better ointment for their skin sores. They simply yelled, Jesus, have mercy on me. They're asking for a broad, life-changing thing, yet they're, re- they're leaving the results up to Jesus. I think sometimes instead of my long list of petitions, right, Lord, do this, can you please do this, and I pray for this, I just need to cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. And then let God, who created me and knows everything about me and my life, answer my prayer with what he thinks I need. It feels so simple and life-giving. Like, what if I could just pray that instead for, well, Lord, have mercy. Like, that just feels easier, right? He knows what I need. He knows the desires of my heart. And I'd say if, that, if it feels simple and kind of relieving to you, try it. Trust God enough to simply pray, Lord, have mercy on me. He'll stop for you. It's what he does, even when he's on his way. He'll hear your prayer, and he'll likely respond with something that is far better than you could have asked for in your long list of requests. Okay, back to the scripture. Verse 14 says, When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. This is significant. Because Jesus is not only acknowledging their existence, he's even speaking to them. The unclean people. Remember, they're unclean. And that was really rare for them, to have someone acknowledge them and speak to them. But Jesus bridges the gap. He doesn't force them to stay on the margins like everyone else is forcing them to. In this passage of scripture, he looked at them. He saw them, it says. Most people didn't look at the lepers. Because leprosy is pretty nasty to look at. I actually looked at some pictures online, and I had to stop. It's pretty hard for your eyes to see. And he speaks to them which most people didn't do. They couldn't get close enough (laughs) to speak to them. And Jesus does this kind of thing all throughout his life as he encounters those on the margins. He's always encountering people on the margins. In Mark 10, with blind Bartimaeus, Jesus is stopped, and he calls Bartimaeus to come to him. And then he speaks to him. In Luke 5, Jesus encounters another man full of leprosy, and Jesus listens to him, and then he touches him, which is unheard of. Leprous people don't get touched right? Because you could get it. It's very risky. 
He's willing to bridge the gap and do that socially unacceptable thing, maybe even a risky thing because it's the right thing to do. He's willing to stop on his way somewhere to meet the need of someone whom everyone else has cast aside. He sees these 10 men and blind Bartimaeus and so many others, including us, as people made in his own image and worth stopping for and listening to and touching. I find his example so inspiring to do that, but also kind of unsettling. (laughs) At the same time, I want to live like that. I want to live in this great tune with God so I know when I should stop and who I should talk with and um, what I'm supposed to do for them, if anything. Yet I'm not sure that I want to touch the homeless folks that I encounter on the street. Like, I'm sad to say that about myself, but it's true. And I'd say even in my most shining moments, right, like when I'm taking food to Tent City and I'm sitting around with the people who live there and seeing them made in Jesus' image, just like me, and just having this conversation as people in this world, I don't think I've ever hugged one of them. How long do you think it's been since they got hugged? Is God calling me to bridge that gap of distance or of touch? And I'm not saying we should run around hugging every homeless person, right? Or every person, for that matter. If you hugged everyone in here today, people would be like, okay, I'm not coming back to that church. This is weird. Because people need to have their physical boundaries, right? But if we aim to be more like Christ as we journey through our lives, what would it look like for us to bridge some gaps? To go against the societal norms and engage with those who are different than us because it's the right thing to do. To see the gay person at work or at school as a human made in the image of Christ, just like you. To listen to someone on the margins tell you their story. Jesus often stopped and let people share their stories. Or to stop for someone when you're on your way, even when it might seem inconvenient. And I'd say, don't do it because you're some savior, right? Like, this is about having a savior conference complex. We're going to be like Christ. Like, there's only room for one savior around here, and Jesus has filled that spot for eternity. So you don't get to fill that spot, (laughs) But do it in response to a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Do it because it might change you more than it even helps them. Bridge the gap even. If like if those don't inspire you, do it because you might need someone to do it for you someday. 2 Corinthians 8.14 says that your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that their abundance, abundance may supply your need. Bridge that gap and watch what Jesus will do in your life and in the life of whomever you encounter. So we're going to go back to the scripture and see what Jesus does with these ten men. In verse 14, he tells them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. If I were one of these men, I'd be like, no way. I'm not doing that. If you've read Leviticus 13, it's an interesting chapter. It tells all about this whole process of leprosy. And that the priest, like if you start thinking you have this disease, you've got to go to the priest, like we were talking about earlier, and they examine your skin. And they, it even goes into great detail about the hair coming out of your skin. And if it's a white color, then it means you might have this disease. It's pretty gory, actually, and kind of de- <laughs> detailed and gory. Um, and then the priest, after doing all these, seeing if the disease is more than skin deep, all this stuff, they would pronounce the person unclean, and then that was your status, like we were talking about. Social outcast. Live away from your family. So... Jesus is telling them to go to the priests. And I imagine that that experience of when they went to the priests before and the priests changed their lives forever by declaring them unclean was pretty devastating and traumatic. Yet Jesus is asking them to do that again. They already know they have leprosy. They already know they're unclean. 
If it were me, I'd be asking, why do you want me to be humiliated again by those priests? Thanks for your advice, Jesus, but I ain't doing it. Not doing that. Has God ever asked you to do something you didn't understand? And was it hard to be obedient when you couldn't see? Like, why is he asking me that? Maybe a situation where you couldn't see the whole picture, but he's calling you to something. He can't see around the corner, but it's, he wants you to move forward. It's hard to say yes sometimes. And I know there have been times in my life when God's called me to do something, and I didn't understand. And I definitely couldn't see up around that corner. But I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to be obedient. Sometimes it took me longer than it probably should. <laughs> but I knew I had to be obedient. So with these lepers, let's see what happens. When Jesus tells them what to do, he tells them this thing, go show yourselves to the priest, even if you think you're in store for more humiliation. It says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. They obeyed this crazy command to go show themselves to the priests. I might call that blind obedience, right? They can't see around the corner what's going to happen. And they were healed, physically healed along the way. Amazing thing happened along the way. I'm telling you, it keeps happening. So along the way. Jesus knew that in those days, if your skin healed up and your leprosy subsided, then you had to go to the priest again and get pronounced clean before you could enter back into society. You had to have your label, right? So if you had an unclean label, you had to go get a clean label before you could go live with your family again and all that stuff. So Jesus already knew his plan to heal them, and he's basically giving them a head start to their next step by sending them to the priests and being declared clean. Do you sometimes feel like God's moving slowly in your life? When I, sometimes I say stuff like, oh, I know God will work it out in his timing. I usually mean, gosh, I hope this doesn't take forever. <laughs> like, hurry up, Lord. I'm ready now. How about now? And in this case, Jesus is working very efficiently, right? He's already sending them to get pronounced clean before they were even healed. It's a good reminder to me that his timing, we're talking about his timing, doesn't always mean slower than mine. He's working behind the scenes all the time, orchestrating, orchestrating all these things in our lives. And because he sees and he knows all, I'm guessing he's often way ahead of me, like he was with these 10 men. One thing to note here on this topic of blind obedience is it sounds like from our scripture, we don't know for sure, but it sounds like they, the men with leprosy didn't delay at all. They didn't argue about whether it was a good idea, and they didn't push back on Jesus' reasoning or say, I'm going to be humiliated or any of that stuff. They had faith that Jesus could do something for them. They asked for mercy. And when Jesus responded, they obeyed what he said without delay. And they were cleansed. It's pretty awesome. It's a good example for us of like, it's not that, com- it doesn't have to be that complicated, right? So next time God asks us to do something that seems a little crazy, I just encourage you to obey, right? Even if it feels like blind obedience, because he might have mercy or healing or an answer to your prayers that's beyond your wildest dreams up around the corner. So we'll round out our time this morning by rolling through the rest of the passage. We're verses 15 through 18 here. It says, Then one of them, one of the ten men, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? As I read through that, I find myself sort of on Jesus' side, kind of indignantly saying, like, yeah, where are those other nine guys? They got healed too. 
those ungrateful dudes, <laughs> how come they're not back here praising and thanking Jesus? And then God points out the plank in my own eye. And I think about how many times I've prayed for something over and over and over and over. Yet when God answers my prayers in his perfect timing, I forget to thank him. Or maybe I thank him once, even though I petition him like 10 or hundreds of times for something. And I'll give you an example that's really present in our lives right now. Almost every day for the past couple of years, Eric and I prayed for him to have a new job. He's been languishing where he was, and um, our dinner table conversations would be like, honey, how was your day? And he's like, fine. That's been the answer for like two years. And like, you just don't want to see your spouse living in fine. <laughs> it's kind of painful, because I want awesome for him. Um, and so we've prayed almost every day for a new job for him. We've been asking the Lord, pounding on the gates of heaven, hundreds of times about this one thing. And a few months ago, God brought the perfect thing. And so now I'm trying to remember to thank God every day for Eric's new job, to give God the praise and glory he deserves, and my gratitude for the amazing way he answered our prayers. Right? Philippians 4 tells us to pray with thanksgiving each time we make our requests known to God. Could we thank him for all that he's done each time we pray for something? I think it's a good practice to keep us in the the posture of praising God and giving him glory for all he does, just like this one man did. We would have none none of the good gifts that we have in our lives. God says he loves to give us good gifts. We wouldn't have any of them. Our families, our friends, our church, our jobs, our opportunities to go to school without him providing all of those things. So let's be sure to practice gratitude alongside our requests as we watch God move in our lives. Okay, so the last verse, which brings something really cool, says, verse 19, And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The healed man's gratitude led him into something new. Not just a cleansing of his disease, but a made well. The Greek word for this is sozo, and it means salvation. Right? Salvation is a whole nother level. It's what my friend Jim calls an HNL, whole nother level, than just getting healed. The healing is, he got his physical healing, but then he has gratitude. And that leads to sozo. It leads to this man becoming whole inside and out. And his gratitude is this gateway to a whole new life, an eternal life, not just a cleansing here on earth. It's clear from this passage that all 10 of these men had faith. Right? They wouldn't have cried out for Jesus if they didn't think he could do something for them. And they wouldn't have obeyed if they didn't believe him when he said, like, go see the priests. But one of these men combined that faith with gratitude, with praise and thanksgiving, and Jesus blesses him in a whole new way. So I'll close today coming back to blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. It says, and Jesus stopped. So blind Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and follow Jesus on the way. It's the same situation. Blind Bart first asks for mercy. Then he gets his physical healing. But Jesus not only gives him his sight, 
He also gives him sozo, the salvation. Jesus is answering Bart's prayer for the blindness to be removed, but then he gives him exceedingly abundantly more than he asked or imagined, right? He asked for mercy, and he actually got it. The one leprous man asked for mercy. They all asked for mercy, but the one of them actually got it because he combined faith with gratitude. So I'll just encourage us as we close to have faith like these men that we studied today. Let's ask Jesus for big things like mercy or sozo, not just for a good night's sleep. You can ask for those things too, but let's go. Let's have some big courageous prayers. Let's bridge the gaps to those on the margins or even those in the next cubicle. Let's be an obedient people, even when it doesn't make sense. Because we can have faith that the one who's calling us forth can see far more than we can. We have faith that he loves us and he knows what's best for us so we can obey with joy. And then let's be grateful. When God moves, thank him again and again and again. And when your kids sleep through the night for the first time in forever, thank him. (laughs) And when your spouse comes out of a tough time and is finally on the other side of whatever it was, thank him. God is moving in our lives all the time. Let's be a people who watch and see and listen and obey and give thanks. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks that you're a God who sees us. That you meet us even when you're on your way, even when we might be a disruption or distraction, we can always come to you. You see us as people made in your image. You see those on the margin as people made in your image. Thank you for being a God who doesn't discriminate. Thanks for being a God that wants to bless and touch and heal and give salvation and mercy and compassion and favor and love. Lord, we pray that we would leave knowing that we have all those things, that we can appropriate all those things for us, for ourselves, and that we can be your agents in this world helping to provide some of those things to others. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.